Hi, everyone. It's Jivana. I just want to come on for a moment and thank our sponsor, Offering Tree. They're an all-in-one, easy-to-use, community-backed business that saves you time, energy, and money as a yoga teacher. Offering Tree allows you to create a website in less than 30 minutes. Plus, you get a discount through Accessible Yoga. Just go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to get your discount today. Okay, here's our episode. Welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao. This podcast explores the teachings of yoga for self and collective transformation. We dive into how spirituality and philosophy can ignite social change. I share conversations with folks who are on the front lines of justice and liberatory movements, thought leaders, change makers, and healers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao, and I'm wishing everybody a very happy and joyful moments in 2024. I wanted to start this year with this particular conversation as a guide map for the year ahead. And before the guest and I, who, you're, who I will be introducing shortly, came on, we were just talking about how uh, the past few months may have ignited some sort of inquiry about how we can show up in the world right now for collective care. So I'm so excited to have with us Deepa Iyer, somebody whose work I often refer to in um, uh, in the in when I talk about the intersection of yoga and social change. Deepa Iyer is a South Asian American writer, strategist, and lawyer. Her work is rooted in Asian American, South Asian, Muslim, and Arab communities where she spent 15 years in policy advocacy and coalition, building in the wake of the September 11th attacks and ensuing backlash. Currently, Deepa leads projects on solidarity and social movements at the Building Movement Project, a national nonprofit. She has written two books, We Too Sing America and Social Change Now, a guide for reflection and connection. Her first children's book, Picture book, We Are the Builders, will be released in the fall of 2024. I so love that, uh, Deepa, that you're writing a children's book. I would love, love to share this with all my uh, nieces and nephews and just pe- just children in my life. And welcome so very much to the podcast. Like I said, uh, Deepa, I often refer to your work, the sh- social change ecosystem in my offerings about the intersection of yoga and social change. So a very warm welcome again. Thank you so much for having me, Anjali. Uh, Deepa, can you share more about your background and how you came to this and what were the catalysts for your own process and your own path? Sure. Um, as, as one gets older, it seems like there's more to say. So I'll try to, to limit it. Um, I think that uh, my work on issues surrounding justice and um, equality really uh, stem from a couple of different experiences. Um, one, like many immigrants, um, were the experiences I had when I moved to the United States with my family when I was 12 from Kerala, India to Louisville, Kentucky. 
So as you can imagine, that was a bit of a culture shock on many levels. And um, the experiences that my family and I had there while I was growing up um, were really ones where it was very clear that we didn't belong and it was unclear where we belonged. Um, And growing up in the South in the mid-1980s, where the ideas of race were very different from how we talk about them today. Um, But those experiences really motivated me to um, get involved in different sorts of campaigns um, throughout college and law school. And I would say the second sort of big watershed moment for me was... um, the horrific September 11th attacks and the uh, backlash that followed that affected South Asian, Muslim, Arab, Sikh communities. Um, And that really motivated me to uh, think about um, how to get more involved in our own communities. And I helped to to start and then work at an organization um, that focused on national civil rights issues facing South Asians. And I think that, you know, through the course of the journey that I've had both personally, um, you know, really coming to terms with the very, you know, the many privileges that that I'm fortunate to hold, but also that are uh, difficult to manage at times, um, being somebody who is, you know, who comes from an upper caste Hindu family and understanding what caste privilege is like um, is a journey that I've been on. Um, and also understanding how that shows up in the work that we need to do right now, um, especially when it comes to folks in the Indian American um, community around addressing caste and also Hindutva, um, plus also the the ways in which we need to build across other movements, not just on our own. Um, so the importance of transformative solidarity practice and recognizing that we each have a role to play um, in doing that work. So those are just some of the the types of experiences and moments that have sparked um, and I think shaped uh, the work that I do now. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, like you said, you know, the watershed moments are some of the, I think, turning points in many of many lives and especially the ones, the big ones, like which happens in the news, but also the smaller ones that we face personally. And then we are like, OK, we have to do something about it. And how can I show up and how can I probably leverage who I am and my my um, identities of privilege that afford me privilege. So for those of us and those listeners who have been witnessing what's going on in uh, Palestine, Sudan, Congo, uh, and generally the 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 in the diaspora here in the United States, uh, they may be also feeling a lot of overwhelm. There is so much of work to do uh, in terms of climate justice, reproductive justice, now the un- upcoming elections. I mean, it just feels like a lot. So I, I wanted to have this particular conversation as a f- sort of the first one in 2024 for people as a, like a guide map. And you talk about your social change ecosystem a lot. Could you please share for the listeners who are new to your work, uh, like an introduction uh, to it and how that can probably help reduce overwhelm. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to validate what you're saying, because I think that there's no shortage of issues that require and command and demand our attention. You know, I think that um, 
we are living at a time of overlapping crises that are connected to one another and not just in the United States, but around the world that affect us. And I think that we have gotten to a point as a collective where many of us know that we can't delegate that work to someone else. We can't deny or dismiss what is happening around us and the importance of wanting to step in feeling overwhelmed at the same time and often being unclear about where we can be. Most of service is an experience that I still go through um, almost on a weekly basis. And I think it's very natural to go through that. So um, the framework that I developed uh, in a way um, honestly was an answer to a time when I felt that tremendous sense of overwhelm back in 2017, um, about a year into the Trump administration. Mm. And so um, the framework is a pretty simple offering, but I think that if you work with it, you could reach a lot of insights about yourself mm. and also about the ecosystems that you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so the social change ecosystem framework has three components. It invites us to number one, think really hard about our core values, what is important to us. And not just the words, because I think we're all used to concepts like liberation and solidarity, but Mm -hmm. to really break them down and to say, well, what, what happens in the world when there is solidarity? And how do I practice solidarity, right? So really kind of getting deeper in alignment with what those values are. And then the second um, step of the framework is an invitation to identify the roles that we often play or are being called upon to play or even aspire to play. And the framework uh, reflects back 10 roles that we often see in social change movements. These aren't job titles, they're roles of how we show up, but they're really embedded in our skills and our lived experiences. So the roles are ones like, playing the role of a weaver to make connections between issues or communities or the role of the healer to look at how oppression winds itself through our bodies, our communities, and our systems. Um, So identifying the roles that make most sense for one as a person, but also the third step is what does our ecosystem need of us? And an ecosystem is really any space um, that a group of people are coming together and they have shared values and goals. So it could be um, a workplace or an organization, a collective, an online community, a rapid response organization, right? It could be anything really. Um, But the question really is like, how do we use our roles in service to that ecosystem to strengthen it so that we can reach our goals in a more effective and sustainable manner? And the last thing I'll say, and I'm sure we'll delve into it more, is that the framework is multidimensional, which means that you can use it as an individual or you can use it as an organization or even a network, a movement. Um, Mm. So you can really um, look at it in lots of different ways as well. Wonderful. I I love that. And I'm going to share uh, the ecosystem that you have provided even in our show notes so people can take a look at it as a visual. Um, In terms of in terms of your own vision for the world right now, I mean, it's a big question. I know what how is there one? Do you go with like a particular thing 
of this is how I would love for it to be. And this is my role in relationship to that vision. And if so, what is that vision like? Now, that's a very big question. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, I can only answer it from my own point of entry. Of course. And that is um, as someone who supports different social movements. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, the vision is really strong and sustainable and effective, rigorous movements mm -hmm. that are able to um, make a dent in the structures and systems and institutions um, around us that mm -hmm. often lead to inequality and injustice and oppression. And so mm -hmm. that's really my vision of robust ecosystems that involve a lot of different people mm -hmm. and that um, really are focused on how do we, how do we you know, how do we come together? How do we row together? How do we um, deal with conflict, which is inevitable in a generative way? Um, right. How do we stay nimble, mm. um, right? So uh, how do we make sure that our movements are points of entry for people, regardless mm. of whether or not they have the purest analysis or, you know, the clearest vision, right? How do we keep them open? So those sorts of um those sorts of elements are part of sort of my bigger vision for movements, mm -hmm. which then I think can really make an impact on society at large. Mm, I love that. I love what you said about how how do we stay nimble and how do we allow and be an invitation for people to join us. And, you know, it has to be somewhat of a dance between where the other person is and where the movement is and where we are. And then th that sort of builds that connection. Otherwise it just feels too uh, intimidating perhaps um, for people to join a movement or, uh, or, or a cause. Mm -hmm. And in that, I wanted to ask you, you speak with so many people from all, all walks of life and all backgrounds, all lived experiences. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about justice work that you think generally people have who haven't yet joined anything and were just you know I'm just I'm just a witness and I'm just watching this from from afar kind of a thing. Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the roadblocks that I often hear is um, I don't have anything to offer, mm. and I think that this framework um, sometimes I've seen people use it and say oh, you know, um, I didn't realize that being a caregiver in an ecosystem is valuable or mm -hmm. seen as valued, right? Um, and I do have some of those skills. Like I'm a patient listener and mm -hmm. I can sense and intuit what people might need and I can offer them that comfort, right? Um, so I think one of the roadblocks often is like, I don't have anything to offer. Another one is, um, the sense that it's, uh, it's so big, right? So, uh, I don't know how to, how to enter and where to enter. Yeah. So, um, again, I think that's about, um, really thinking about the ecosystems around the, around us, right? Are there existing organizations or collectives that we might want to join? And if not, is there a way for us to create something with others, Right. 
Um, is there a way in which the current networks or associations that we're part of um, could be influenced to take on a particular issue or make a statement about something happening in the world? Mm-hmm. And then I think the 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 other one I'd mention as a roadblock is um, often folks feel like they they say, "Oh, I don't know enough," or, um, or yeah. things are complicated. Yeah. And I think part of that is like doing, you know, our own work to learn, um, you know, even, you know, we, in the prep, we're talking about um, what's happening in, in Palestine and Israel. And yes, of course it's complicated, right? We're not talking about a situation that began on October 7th. We're right. talking about decades of um, historical context. And yeah. at the same time, there are many books, many visionaries, many storytellers, uh, many guides um, using some of the roles in the framework that exist that we can turn to to learn. And I also think the movement has to be more open um, in terms of not requiring um, sort of an entry pass, you know, from folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't assume that people have this sort of movement purity when it comes to their analysis, because we're all learning, right? We can't be like, oh, yes, I understand everything at this 100% level. Mm -hmm. Um, Even over the course of the last 20 years of racial justice work, um, some of what we now say uh, in parlance, because of the movement for Black lives, we weren't saying necessarily in like the 1980s or the 90s, right? So we've learned as movements have developed and taken shape in front of our eyes, um, what the vocabulary is, what the analysis is, what the language is. And so I think it's it's both our own responsibility to learn. And also, I think that movements have to be open to accepting people and meeting them where they're at mm-hmm. instead of um, dismissing people or um, sort of uh, dispensing of a whole group of people who might not, quote, get it fully yet. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. And um also, do you think there is a there is a likelihood of the punitive sort of culture that's that seeps through in in social justice work, right? Um, and the so you know the cancel culture or mm-hmm. whatever that people talk about. Like if you don't do the do it in a certain way, if you don't say it in a certain way, or if you make mistakes, um, and then you then it it's of course we have one has to be accountable for harm that has been committed. Um, But also there is a greater sort of sense of shame that is attributed to people who make mistakes. Um, And I think that also keeps people away. Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to, quote unquote, offend people. And so people just don't want to get involved. What do you say to people like that and for in situations like that? Yeah, I think that's very real. You know, I've heard people say exactly the words that you just said. you know, I, I do think that it's incumbent upon those of us who are part of social movements to um, really think about the culture that we're setting in terms of meeting people where they're at. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're working on social justice, it's very likely that every single one of us has made mistakes. Absolutely. I make mistakes on a daily basis and I yeah. learn from them. Right. And yeah. so um, we should actually have a culture of acceptance of people um, in terms of their experiences, their backgrounds, what they know and don't know. 
And so that's um, one of the ways in which in the framework, there's this role of the guide. And I think that's a really important role where uh, if we saw movements as guides um, to uh, support people in their learning and to create an environment where it's acceptable to make a mistake. It's a, mm-hmm. it's acceptable to say, I don't know or yes. need information, right? Um, or I have a thought about this and I'm not really sure if it's going to land, but I want to just say what I've been thinking, right? Um, rather than sort of this a judgment of, well, you didn't, you didn't get that right. And so, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't play with us anymore or we're going to, um, you know, we're going to judge whether or not you have all your bona fides in line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that just, again, causes folks to not want to get involved. And yeah. then um, it, it's, I think, to the detriment of social movements, because we need, you know, a whole swath of people from different backgrounds and experiences to come along with us because we're facing um, so much you know, we're facing so many attacks on so many levels. Hi, everyone. I just want to pop in here really quick and remind you about our sponsor, Offering Tree. As yoga teachers, we are our own business managers, website designers, and producers. It's a lot. And Offering Tree offers an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to succeed while we're doing all the things. And I'd just like to say that through this partnership with the Love of Yoga podcast, Offering Tree has shown that it's committed to supporting accessibility and equity in the yoga world. Offering Tree is a public benefit corporation, and they're driven by a mission of wellness accessibility, which we share with them at Accessible Yoga. As an Offering Tree user, you'll get uh, to join a supportive educational community, and you'll also get free webinars with top experts in wellness and entrepreneurship. And of course you get a discount. So go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to learn more and to get your discount. Okay, let's go back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, highlighting that. In fact, I, I talk a lot about asking questions is I think perhaps most important rather than knowing or thinking you know the answers, you know. So asking questions is really, really important. Um, and saying, I don't know, like being right. humble enough to say that uh, I don't know about something. Um, what would be your, uh, I, I want to say like a hot take on on the on the community, the collective that we are, Where is where are we at as a culture? Like the dominant culture, and we are, you know, of course, in terms of our own positionality, we are we are sharing this. But where do you think we are in in the world that we live in right now? Like, are are we are we? Moving, there, huh? What's that? These are such big questions. It is. It uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But but I really think that I I feel like depending upon who you talk to, you get different answers uh-huh. because uh, because there are some people who are like this is this is and th- that's true that this is probably one of those moments. And when I say one, I'm saying the past few months where many people are getting activated and really open, eyes are being open to where we are in the government and and our own complicit nature in what's happening in the world, right? So in that sense, there has been an awakening. And then there are yet other people who are completely gaslighting what's going on. So I wanted to see in that sense, you know, to give you more context yeah. for the question, where are we in the world? And, and when I say the world, of course, I want to be more specific in the United States, because let's be specific about where we are. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, 
I think that we're at a crossroads. Yeah. You know, I think that we're at a crossroads just as societies, as humanity. And um, it's been, I, and I think that a lot of people share this, you know, especially in the last couple of months, there's been an awakening in many ways, right? We are awakened to um, understanding, you know, um, who's going to actually talk about solidarity with Palestinians. Yeah. Um, we're awakening ourselves to understanding that there are institutions that um, are creating a chilling effect in terms of expressing solidarity with Palestinians, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're getting a much better sense of um, sort of the, the red lines that people will cross or won't cross. And um, to me, that has been really devastating to watch mm -hmm. um, because it really should not be difficult for anyone to um, call what is happening in Palestine a genocide. It yeah. should not be difficult to understand how the United States is complicit in that genocide. Um, there, are, these are facts, and there is historical context. And every day, we we can understand this information and analyze it. So, I think that we we are at a crossroads as individuals and collectives in this moment um, to figure out how we're going to approach what is happening around us. Yeah. And I think a lot about um, this, this phrase that Arundhati Roy, who I think is a visionary and a guide, um, yeah, in an essay that she wrote um, when the pandemic um, started back in 2020, where she called, where she said the pandemic is a portal. Yeah. And um you know, what she went on to say in that essay is that, you know, this is a time for us to choose how we move through that portal, right? Are we going to stand at the threshold and not move through it? Are we going to move through it with a lot of baggage with our, um, you know, with our viewpoints and perspectives that might be very siloed and narrow? Um, or are we going to move through it with a lighter with with a lighter uh, lighter baggage and mm. uh, recognizing you know who we want to move through it with right who mm. are the people the partnerships the ecosystems that we're moving through that portal with and what are we building on the other side of that portal mm. um, obviously like she says that all of that in the most eloquent ways not in what I just said um, but I think that. I, I often go back to that essay yeah. a lot um, because it reminds me of the urgency of the moment. Yeah. And it also gives me a sense of recognizing that it is a portal, it is a threshold, and yeah. it enables me to think about, well, how am I moving through that? Yeah. Right now? And with whom and in what way, right? And with what, what values and with what goals mm. um, and how am I... Um, how am I supporting what we're building as we move through it? Because we can't, there's no like magic door that opens up on the other side and yeah. voila, right? Like we have to create that. And yeah. so what does that look like as well? Mm. Um, so I think that it is, it is a, an op, it's a moment, it's an opportunity, it's a crossroads and it's a portal. Um, and I do think that we have the uh, analysis, ideas, networks, privileges, um, information to move through it. Um, and it's important to kind of be prepared to take those steps. Mm. 
Wonderful. I mean, any any time Arundhati Roy is mentioned in a podcast conversation or any conversation, my face will light up because she's been such an inspiration and her words are just magic and balm, um, balm to me. So yes. thank you for sharing that. And um, perhaps this is a good, another big question, uh, Deepa, <laughs> <laughs> since we are in the mood. Um, what does liberation mean to you? Um, it means a lot of different things. I think, you know, I think on a personal level, it's about the capacity um, of people to make decisions about how they live their lives, about their bodies, about their partnerships, about um, the ways in which they connect with their neighbors and mm -hmm. friends and families and all of that, right? It's about the the ability to... Um, to have some ownership in terms of making the decisions that work for ourselves and others that we're connected to. Mm -hmm. um, I also think about it from the sense of like a more collective ethos and what liberation looks like from the standpoint of our, uh, our communities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, I, I really go back a lot to um, some of the, the wisdom of, of people that we have, um, been so fortunate to learn from, you know, the liberation includes some of what Audre Lorde has taught us about um, the tools that we use to um, to make the changes, right, in the quote, master's house, about mm -hmm. the importance of self-care as a revolutionary act. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of liberation. I think about um, bell hooks and how um, she taught us um, about the value of love mm -hmm. and how it shows up in different ways. Mm -hmm. And also that um, that is a cornerstone of what she called communities of resistance, where we know we're not alone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about Grace Lee Boggs and how she wrote about, um, you know, she would have this question, like what time is it on the clock of the world whenever she held the community meeting at her home? And, um, you know, the time on the clock of the world is now, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. And, and, and she also wrote a lot about how um, it's not about like the, the quantity of the connections that we have, right? But it's about the quality of the connections that we have, the critical connections between us. So I think all of that is part of um, liberation, both as an individual, but then also as a collective. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And speaking of uh, self-care as a radical act, what are some of your practices for care, especially during turbulent times that we are living right now? What do you do? How do you manage to stay sane and stay well? Um, you know, I think like everyone else, I struggle with it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's also a muscle and a practice that yeah. we have to build. I think that in movement spaces, there is this kind of hustle culture. Um, yeah. Also often sometimes the sense of martyrdom, there's a sense of yeah. um, kind of doing, doing everything all the time yeah. uh, because of the urgency of the moment, which is real, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that it's tough to then center care. Yes. Um, I think it's also important to recognize that 
you know, when you're talking about doing this work, it's not just about self-care, but it has to be about a culture of community care. And so um, reaching out to others, um, asking for support is really important because we can't always just do it on our own. Mm -hmm. So so I guess I would say for me, um, some of the practices include um, really taking time to, um, to check out and give mm-hmm. my give myself permission to do that, yeah. um, whether that's for an hour a day to go on a walk, or whether it is um, you know a week um, of of kind of managing and setting some boundaries on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also i um, I am lucky enough to be the mother to a thirteen year old boy, and so that automatically. <laughs> <laughs> Makes that, it very real. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. the time boundaries are super real. You know, yeah. um, there are school pickups and yeah. being a chauffeur to one's child and yeah. wanting to be present, um, yeah. you know, with special moments and things like that. And so um, being with my son can be a really uh, important way of for me to kind of recenter myself and mm-hmm. to see myself in like multiple identities and not just. Yeah like someone who's working on a cause, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And then I also, um, I do a lot of writing and that to me, uh, whether it's journaling or personal essay writing or taking a writing workshop, um, to me, writing is, uh, is, is probably the most fundamental way of caring for myself because mm. it allows me to be um, in a conversation with myself. And mm. I think, at least for me, that is very important. Um, I think it de- like everyone has a different method, right? Yeah. And I think I have learned to ask myself, what do you need right now? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Like, do you need to like sit with a journal? Do you need to right go on a walk? Do you need yeah. to talk to a friend? And so yeah. um, so asking that and recognizing that it looks different for everyone and and that's okay as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. This is so helpful. And I'm nodding very rigorously at what you're saying, because a lot of it is very reflected in uh, so much of even how I sometimes feel like I I, I think children especially are some of the great levelers. Uh, they make it very real. So I appreciate you sharing and being real. And all the gifts that you share with uh, with the world are so needed. And uh, I'm really grateful for you to be a part of this podcast conversation, especially, you know, sort of jumpstarting 2024. Um, anything else, Deepa, before we close the conversation, anything else you want to share for the listeners? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that... Um... I think that it's great for folks who are listening to really think about, you know, what role do I want to play as I move into this year? What ecosystems do I want to support and strengthen? And knowing that we can't do it all and recognizing that there are others playing roles right in the ecosystem um, so that we can trust um, that the work will get done um, because we're in relationship to to each other and there is a level of trust. Um, so I think that those would be some of my final um, ideas for folks. Beautiful. And if there's more interest in in specifically the social change um, ecosystem framework, um, the the website where there's a hub of information is www.socialchangemap.com. 
Um, and there'll be information there on how people can learn more, um, but also, um, you know, uh, listen to other ways to, to utilize that framework in their own work. Thank you so much. That is indeed a real gift to, uh, to the community. So I so appreciate you again, and I wish you great, uh, joy and rest and reconnection to your family and loved ones, uh, during during the break, Deepa. So, and for the listeners, thank you so much for joining and a very happy new year to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Love of Yoga podcast and offering from Accessible Yoga Association. Please support our work by becoming an ambassador or by visiting our online studio at accessibleyoga.org.